This is Mike Palmer. Welcome back to Trending in Education. Hopefully folks had a nice restorative holiday break over Thanksgiving here in the U.S. Really excited to bring you my conversation with Shai Reshef, who is the president and founder of University of the People. Had a really interesting conversation with Shai talking about his long and storied career in education that has really culminated in the last 15 or so years with what he's been doing with University of the People, which is an affordable online university available globally. We'll get into how it's opening up access to post-secondary education for students around the globe in particular those who may be facing some challenges. He talks about work he's done in Afghanistan, in Iran, and elsewhere. Certainly relevant, a lot of wisdom that Shai imparts. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. This is our University of the People edition of Trending in Education. I'm very happy to be joined by Shai Reshef, who is the president of University of the People. Shai, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you so much, and thank you for inviting me. It's a great yeah. honor to be here. We're honored to have you. I was very excited to see you have a TED Talk that I could watch as part of my prep. I like watching TED Talks anyway, so the fact that you had one gave me the opportunity to kill two birds with one stone. But the idea of you of the people is a big one, and it's one you've been pursuing for some time. Also, it's hugely relevant in these tumultuous times, and we'll get into that as well. But before we get into that, we always like to start by getting to know you a little bit better. Can you catch us up on your background, how you got to this point in your professional life? Sure, I would love to. So I was involved in for-profit education for 25 years. And I was in charge of hundreds of programs for hundreds of thousands of students all over the world. And among other things, we started the first online university in Europe. It was through partnership with the University of Liverpool where we delivered their uh, online degrees. Uh, and for me, it was a great revelation I mean, to see how people can stay at home, keep their job, live with their families, and still get uh, European uh, education. Mm -hmm. And just for context, timing-wise, some of this stuff goes back to like the formative years of the internet. So I just want to make sure exactly. I had the right context. Yeah, yeah. And... As I said, I really enjoyed it and I was shocked how the internet offer people the opportunity to study, which they couldn't have done otherwise. But I also realized that for most people, it was nothing but a wishful thinking. It was too expensive. Mm -hmm. It was for profit. As I said, I sold this university and the rest of my business and went to New York on semi-retirement. Just to realize that it's not really for me. Actually, my family realized it even earlier than me and told me, do something with yourself. Yeah. So I looked around and I didn't know what I want to do because it was clear to me that I want to do something with impact. I want to give back. Mm -hmm. And I looked around and I said, okay. I want to give back. I want to do it with something that will have an impact on the world. And then it was clear to me that it must be through education. Mm. Because if you educate one person, you can change a life. If you educate many, you can change the world. 
I looked around and then I realized that everything that made this European online university so expensive was already available for free. Open source technology, Mm -hmm. open educational resources, content that professors put on the net for everyone to use for free. Mm -hmm. And the new internet culture where people were willing to teach and learn from each other for free. Mm-hmm. I found a website where professors came online every day and helped students with their homework for free. Yeah. And they told myself, wait a second, you have technology, you have content, you have professors for free. This is a free university. All I have to do is to put it together and create a tuition-free university. And that's what I did. Yeah. I announced it in uh, Munich in, two, in January 2009. Mm-hmm. And uh, the day after, the New York Times wrote a page about it. And the following day, I already had hundreds of emails of professors who said, wow, amazing. We want to make it happen. And they made it happen. Yeah. So that's the start of the University of the People. And that's quite a long time ago in terms of the way the world is changing. If you think about the waves of transformation we've gone through where this is even before 2012, famously the year of the MOOC. You know, 2009 is relatively soon after the smartphone. You were right in at the ground floor, really, of Web 2.0 and how that connects to online education. And then it almost feels like a 3.0 is happening now. And we've had this pandemic in the last three years and some of the broader awakenings and transformations that we've been going through. As someone who's been leading this type of effort over this full span of time, Anything about the current state of affairs or reflections on what's gotten us to this point? You know, from 2009 until today, there's quite a lot to talk about in there. First of all, the world has changed and is changing. And that's interesting because even in 2009, when we started, we said we are not going to invent anything. Mm -hmm. We are only using technologies and pedagogies that are out there. So everything was text-based. And we said, you don't need any broadband in order to study with us. You don't need to watch videos. Everything will be text-based. Yeah. Moreover, you can do it with any device. You can uh, do it from uh, your computer, your laptop, your iPad, I don't know, your cell phone at the time. It wasn't yeah. really, uh, an option. At the beginning, we had people who use uh, dial-up in order, in yeah. order to study. Yeah. But yeah. the younger, the younger listener don't even know what... What we're talking about, but only and slowly as the technology develops and we realize through survey that more and more students have the broadband, we started sending our students to uh, videos uh, that are out there on the internet. We are not recording our own videos. Yeah. We want to save costs. Mm-hmm. And now we see that the majority of our students are studying through cell phones. So mm-hmm. it's a different world. I think that the world is changing. I'm waiting for Meta to be there. I'm not sure this is the right days to talk about Facebook, but I hope to see the days where we can watch each other avatars and study this way. So the world is changing, but I think that online is picking up. When COVID hit, you know, people had the perception that online is wrong. Online is not the right thing. Mm -hmm. Now... You know, there is no university that doesn't offer online learning. Right. Every student take at least one course online. Right. So the online is there to stay and it's growing and it's growing exponentially with us, but not only with us, with everyone else. Yeah. And it's interesting at the same time, there is a backlash, a desire to snap back 
to the way that things used to be that you do encounter also within some people's mental models of higher education. It's sort of like we had to do this brief detour into online and now I don't want to think about it anymore. I just want to go back to the way things used to be. I think that perception is out there, but at the same time, I've seen recent surveys about Gen Z and their openness to online education and the way in which, whether it's through a formal education channel or through something like YouTube or TikTok, the idea that you can get access to information quickly through the internet and that you can learn faster and be better enabled by virtue of skilling up digitally, that change has happened. And now the question is, how do we navigate the reaction against online versus I, I, the upside? I would say two things. First of all, it's the natural feeling. We all feel that everything new is a little bit frightening and mm -hmm. we used to the, to the old thing. So why don't we stick with the old thing? The yeah. world doesn't work this way. Mm -hmm. We can be happy with it. We can regret it, but that's the world is moving forward and online is taking over. Whether you like it or not, that's the future. Right. Now, saying that, the experience of online is not necessarily as, as fulfilling as face-to-face. -face. Definitely for some, some people don't get it. Yeah. But online will develop and will continue to develop. You know, it's like, I remember, and that, that's already years by now. I used to tell my kids, you know, stop playing with your computer all day. Go out and play with your friend. Yeah. And the answer was, I'm playing with my friends. I said, no, 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 go meet them. I said, I'm meeting them. Yeah. <laughs> playing through the computer. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, whether we like it or not, that's the future. And right. it, it will be, it's there to stay. I hope that the quality will improve and we'll have more opportunity and we'll find the medium to help everyone there. Even though, yes, I don't think that Harvard uh, is going to be closed because of online. On the other hand, we are partnering with Harvard Online, Harvard mm -hmm. Business School Online. They offer courses online. Yeah, so, you know. yeah exactly. And the, the things about online, which you highlighted in your TED Talk and the things you write about and really the mission of the university is that it's more affordable and it's more resilient. And in this day and age, with the types of disruptive activities that we've seen, whether it's, you know, a pandemic or the invasion of the Ukraine and refugee situations really around the globe, you know, increased prevalence of displaced people all over the world, they still need access to education. And I have seen that one of the main channels that's available to them is perhaps a mobile phone. And through something as simple as a mobile phone, those populations, which are growing and you've served over 16,000 of these students, you know, are refugees based on what I'm hearing about you, the people, that resilience and that affordability opens up new opportunities for folks who really need it. Can you talk more about that? Sure. And thank you for asking it because we opened the university to give an opportunity for those who have no opportunity. I remember that I was once asked by a journalist from Brown Students Newspaper, and she said, huh, are you setting a competition for Brown? And my answer was, you know, if ever a student come to me and said, I'm not sure if I should go to Brown or to University of the People, at that point, will I laugh or cry? Because I failed. I'm not there to set up competition to Brown. 
I'm there to have an alternative to those who have no other alternative. Mm-hmm. And according to UNESCO, in 2025, there will be 100 million students without seats in the university that will exist there. And we're bringing an alternative. We're building a model to show that higher education can be accessible, affordable, with the right quality for everyone. Mm-hmm. That is our uh, mission, and that's what we're doing. And I believe that the internet enables education to reach every person. Now, not everyone wants it. Not everyone is qualified to get it. Right. But giving the opportunity is extremely important. And we see, you know, we talk to our students and so many of them, our people, you know, talk about refugees, no option whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And when you are a refugee and it's something that we as human beings keep thinking when we look at refugees and said, oh, they were forced to leave their country. The world will be over and they will come back. Refugees do not come back. Mm-hmm. Generations after generation, they stay outside of their countries. Mm-hmm. Average refugee stay in a refugee camp 22 years. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, now they can get out of there and they are at the bottom of the pyramid wherever they are. Right. The only way for them to get out of the situation is education. Right. And the internet enables us to, to do that and we should do it. We yeah. do it, and I hope that others will do it as well. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It ties to the idea of access to education as a human right, which is something that's particularly important in some cultures where access to education for girls and women is also restricted. And that is a place where, you know, Iran, I know you've been doing some recent work in support of women scholars in uh, Iran. Can, can you talk a little more about that? So we started actually with Syria. When the war started in, in Syria, mm-hmm. uh, we were flooded with Syrian who applied to the university and couldn't make it because of the, of the language, because we only teach in English. Yeah. We decided to develop for them a program in Arabic. Uh-huh. So we teach, we have University of the People in Arabic. We teach business administration in Arabic. We have by now 22,000 students studying in Arabic. Yeah. We are the largest American online university in Arabic. And we are very proud. The majority of them are refugees. Mm-hmm. Then we, we took quite a few Rohingyas following the situation in Myanmar. Mm-hmm. But then when the Taliban took over in Afghanistan, and we heard all these horrible stories about women's rights and the denial of access for them to higher education. We announced that we are going to give 1,000 scholarships for Afghan women. Mm. For me, it was my question to internally was, how are we going to spread the word in, in Afghanistan? It's the Taliban. Yeah. What, what actually we did was to go into expats website and spread the word there in the matter of couple of weeks with 8,000 Afghan women mm-hmm. applying to the university. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then we decided to go an extra step because studying online, you can study behind closed doors. Nobody would know that you study. Yeah. But then someone raised the risk that the Taliban will send someone to our classes mm. and find out who are the Afghan women that study with us. Yeah. So we decided to enable them to study with fake names. So we know mm-hmm. who they are, but Jane from California might be an Afghan woman, and we have over 2,000 of them studying with us. Yeah. More, almost all of them are in, in Afghanistan, even though some of them are outside of Afghanistan. Yeah. But we have 8,000 women who started the application. We would love to have more. We simply cannot do that. 
Yeah. Then when the war in, in Ukraine started, so we were approached by UNESCO who said, well, nice about Afghanistan. What about Ukraine? So we announced that we give thousand scholarship for Ukrainian as well. And we also decided to open all of our courses to Ukrainians so they can come take our courses. And when the schools will reopen, they can go, they can transfer the credit there. Yeah. And then the situation in Iran started and the protest of women in Iran for their right to wear whatever they want. And we said, let's encourage them. And we decided to offer a 100 scholarship for Iranian women to study with us, to make them part of the world and study with, with the people from, from around the world. So we're trying, you know, we're there to help. Anyone in the world will need, will need our help, and we're definitely approaching populations that need us most and trying to help them as much as we can. Yeah, and you can only do that if the economics can work out, and the only way that works out is if your unit costs to service one person are relatively low. That's the other part about your model that is interesting is the economics, the, the financial model that's powering it. Because when I started doing a little more digging, the other level of insight that I saw here is that other people could do similarly altruistic, you know, public good, social good activity by tapping into some of what you've unlocked with University of the People. Can you explain a little more sure. how it operates? Sure. So we are tuition free, but we are not free. We expect the students to pay $120 for each end of course assessment. So a full BA is $4,800. Mm. Those who cannot afford even this small amount, we offer scholarships. Mm -hmm. And our ability to offer scholarship is actually by the, the amount of philanthropic money that, that we raise because the money that the students pay cover the operation costs. But in order to have more students and give more scholarship, we need, we need support. Mm -hmm. That's why I said that we took 2,000 Afghan women and not 8,000. If we had more money, we would have taken all the eight and, and we still hope to be able to take, to take all of them. Yeah. This amount that the students pay cover our operation. And the reason for that is that we operate very different than any other university. I mentioned earlier that we use open source technology and open educational resources. We use technology wherever it can replace human being. Mm -hmm. We obviously don't have buildings and we rely on volunteers. I'm a volunteer. The deans are volunteers. The instructors come to us as volunteers. Mm. And what I think is as important is that we have very few programs, only the programs that are relevant to help students find a job right. and their lifestyle. But also we give the students only what they need for succeed and nothing but that. Yeah. To give an example, you know, there are things that universities give students which are great. Football teams. Well, we can't afford football teams. Right. Even if our students would like it. Psychological health. I believe that it's, it's very important. We simply cannot afford it. Yeah. The number of elective courses that we give to students is limited mm -hmm. and really focus in moving them toward the, the end. But we try to use technology and be very smart about what we offer and what we don't offer and about our operation. And that's yeah. why we're able to do it at a fraction of the price 
of other universities. I mean, we have 120, over 120,000 students, and we are on a budget of $20 million. So, yeah. yeah. No. Keeping it lean, yeah. Staying, staying hungry. A little bit of lean never hurt anybody. And then the idea that the design is also lean but accessible in that these are the types of courses that are relevant to just about any job. You know, the focus on business administration, computer science. How are you addressing emerging skills and some of the new skills economy stuff that's happening? So we, we started with, as you said, business administration, computer science. Then we added health science. Okay. Because there was a huge shortage of health employees. Yeah. And again, it's health employees. It's not nursing or, or, or doctor. Right. And AO physicians. And then we moved to MBA, Master in Business Administration. Yep. Yeah, master in Education. Mm. And we did it both because there is huge shortage of, of uh, teachers and teachers training. And uh, we are actually, uh, it's a Master of Education in collaboration with the IB, the International Baccalaureate. Mm. And we prepare headmasters and uh, we may teach upgrade the level of, of existing teachers. We are yeah. not giving them license. They get the IB, but not local license. Yeah. And then we just started recently master in IT. Uh-huh. in IT is our uh, latest uh, program. And we do that because there is a huge demand for it. Mm-hmm. That's how we choose what, what we teach. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. We'd like to talk about the future of work. And I imagine that's something you are thinking about, especially when you're trying to reach all these populations. As you mentioned, there are job openings that are open because there's no one who actually has the skills or competencies to fill the role. How do you stay on top of that? How do you get the message out in terms of the students you're serving that here's the best skill set, tool set to get you on the path to the career and the social mobility, the economic mobility that you're looking for? So I think I would start by saying that in every program that we offer, we have advisory board and the advisory board include both professors from the field, but also practitioners. Mm. And the boards, the different boards are those who decide what we are going to offer the students. And when we bring people from the industry, we know that what we offer is well. Yeah. Moreover, because of the input that we're getting from, from the industry, we decided to offer certificates. Mm. Now we have 11 certificates and the beauty about certificates is that they are purely job oriented. Yeah. There are courses from our field, which you can take three, four or five, depending on the different certificate and you can go right, start working. If you want, you can carry back the courses, they, the credit for the courses that you took with us to complete a degree, but you don't have to. Yeah. So we're trying to be very relevant for the job market. We also be building now a corporate office within your people uh, to start talking to, to companies, uh, both to learn, to connect them to our students and make sure that we have uh, job opportunities to our students yeah. and maybe educate their employees, but also learn from them what is important uh, for us to teach uh, our students. Mm-hmm. Uh, but students, you know, students know when they come to us, they usually know what uh, they want to study. Uh, the majority of them are working adults. They are not right. coming to us. Now we have a new phenomenon where 18 years old 
students coming to us, uh, it's a new phenomenon where the younger generation are going online. Yeah. But traditionally, the average age was 30. And okay. it was people who already work. Many of them decided either went to school and went to, to college and, and drop out, or people who just decided that they don't want to study and went right to work. Right. But then realized that they get stuck and they come to us in order to complete their education and get a better, a better job. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Shai Reshef is the president of University of the People. We're talking about where the world of learning is going. And fortunately, you've been out ahead of the curve, providing access to online education to people who need it. We're getting closer to conclusion. I always like to hear what's capturing my guests' imagination these days outside of what we just talked about. When you think about the future, you're obviously someone who thinks about the future a lot. What are some of the new things that are emerging that are capturing your attention? What might our listeners benefit from paying a little more attention to? I think that we're hearing more and more how people say that the KPIs of higher education are not legitimate anymore. And, you know, you shouldn't go, you can find a job. Why do you go to a university? Mm -hmm. I think it's a grave mistake. Yes, the cost of higher education become insane. Mm -hmm. So instead of not going to higher education, I think that let's find a way to make the cost of higher education lower. Because we had tendency in the past where people went to vocational schools and studied to be plumbers and studied to have the, the vocations that they need without going to university. But the question is always, when you study for a certain profession, what happened with them this profession become obsolete? Do you have the knowledge, the skills to study yourself and to upgrade your knowledge by yourself? And that's what higher education should give you. I think that higher education makes better people, better individuals. And we as a country, but also every individual should try to get higher education. But that leads me to the other point. I think that the world is not necessarily going to happy places these days. We see the war in Ukraine and we see the regimes that are taking power in many parts of the world. And I think that democracy is in a big risk these days. Yeah. The way to strengthen democracy is through education. People without education do not understand the power of democracy and how important it is. So we need to educate the world in order to have a better world. And that's what we're doing. And we hope that others will do the same. Absolutely. Yeah. Some heavy, heavy ideas being dropped on you here. If you want to learn more, you can go to uopeople.edu. That's the website. Shai Reshef has been our guest today, the founder and president of University of the People. Shai, as we conclude here, if folks need to come away from this conversation with some takeaways, what are your concluding thoughts? So I did talk about how important it is to educate and I will encourage anyone to educate themselves all their lives. But I think that I want to move away from education for a second and talk about what we as human beings doing to the world that we live in. And I do it myself, and I hope that every person that listens to us, but every person on earth, when they are on the verge of dying, and before they close their eyes for the last time, they look back at their life and say, I left the world slightly better than what I received, the one that I received when I got into it. 
I think that if everyone will do something to make our, our world a bit better, we'll have an amazing world. And I hope for one of us to have one at least. Fantastic words to close by. Something to think about for the rest of y'all as you go about your day. Shai Reshef, thanks so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you for inviting me. It was great to meet. Let's meet again soon. Awesome. And hopefully our listeners enjoyed what you heard. There'll be links to you of the people and some of the topics we talked about on the show notes for today's episode. Thanks as always for listening. Please subscribe. Tell your friends. Do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. <laughs> <laughs>